0: everybody, and welcome back to Scale with Predictable Success. That's the podcast in which we get to talk with people who either by themselves and or with other people are achieving predictable success in their career and in life. And today, I'm absolutely delighted to have with us someone who's become a close colleague and friend, as you're going to hear over the last couple of years, and that's Jenny Catron, who's the founder and CEO of Foresight Group. Jenny, that's right. welcome.
1: Thanks so much, Les. I'm excited for this conversation. This is a we're we're always uh, working and talking all things predictable success, but getting to have this conversation is going to be fun.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it did occur to me just as uh, I was firing Zoom up for this that if we had just stuck a microphone in on any one of the last half dozen conversations that we've had, you know, that's right um, on bus ride or whatever it's been uh, that we would make a great podcast episode in its own right, because we, as uh, listeners are going to discover uh, we've got a, sh- a lot of shared interests. So in that regard um, kick off. just tell all the listeners uh, about foresight group. What is it?
1: Sure.
0: Why did you start it? What does it do?
1: Yeah. I started a, the foresight group a little over five years ago. And uh, we focus on helping develop healthy leaders and thriving teams. So I have a real bias towards, first, I want a leader to be healthy and thriving. And there's lots of history that we could get into of why that is so significant. And then um, the dynamic of team. I'm just really compelled by teams working effectively together to achieve a mission. And so Foresight comes along, um, executive leaders, either via one-on-one coaching or executive team coaching using much of the predictable success model to help us kind of unpack all of that and uh yeah just to just to i you know i think you know we ha- leaders especially founding leaders have such a desire to achieve the mission that they started out with and oftentimes they find themselves stuck by their own limitations as a leader or the complexities of the team dynamic as the organization is growing and so that's really our my heart and passion is helping equip leaders in that space so that's where we started. I um I kind of stumbled into it. I had worked in uh, the corporate world and then the nonprofit world and the church space, and um, the thread through all of that was this again this passion for healthy leaders and thriving teams. And eventually, as I was writing and speaking and getting opportunities for those things, it just kind of morphed into I think it's time to time to do this myself. And I I think there's a little bit of a that entrepreneurial founding leader spirit in me that. felt like I had to do it myself. So here we are. And
0: when did you do that? When did you step out and fund?
1: It was uh, just about five years ago. Yeah. Okay,
0: cool. Um, When you talk about having that sort of impetus within you, did any of that come from your family background? Did you grow up in a a sort of a business environment? were, Were you sort of in and around and saw that? Or was that just something that grew as you grew older?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because as I reflect on my family history, there definitely were entrepreneurs in our family. So my grandfather, who's 90 years old and still as spry as anything, like he's a fascinating human to talk to, he uh, grew up in the inner city of Chicago. And he had a grocery store, like a little corner grocery store in Chicago uh, that he and my grandmother ran for a number of years until their kids were like my mom and my, my aunt were middle school age. They moved to Northern Wisconsin. But uh, so my grandfather had several businesses uh, and then my, my parents dabbled in some businesses. They weren't very successful with it. So I, I will say this growing up, I didn't see very successful Entrepreneurial efforts, um, but clearly it's it's in the it's in the blood. It's in there somewhere.
0: A lot of effort with uh, not just the sort of success that it might have, should have re- uh, returned. Uh, right. So tell us a little bit then uh, about that corporate career that you mentioned. Um, w- w- so you come out of college. What do, what do you go do? Just track your path there and take sure. us up and through to the point where you're starting to think. I think I should do my own thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, as a little girl, I wanted to work in the music business in Nashville, Tennessee. So I, uh, I had big dreams at a pretty young age. I think I was about 13 when I said, I want to work for a record company in Nashville. And that was the goal. Right. And so that's what, I, that's what I set out to do. I went to college in Tennessee. I got a job at a record label in Nashville. And I didn't even know what I would really do there. I just knew that that's what I wanted to be a part of. And so I, I um, got a job at a company called Forefront Records, which was a division of EMI Music Group at the time, and uh, started out as an intern in the radio department and then became an assistant in the sales and marketing department. And uh, and, and was on a pretty fast trajectory there. Within a handful of years, I was a director of uh, artist development. And so I was working with, uh, when, a, when the A&R department would finish a record and finish the actual musical product. Then it came to me to help oversee from from video to sales and marketing to um, you know uh, just all the nuances, the radio singles, and all the pieces that went into the puzzle. It was my job to help kind of orchestrate all of that, wow. and uh, it, it's just a fascinating job. But also required uh, like I, I quickly discovered how my leadership skills were lacking because you had to be able to. align a a team that weren't direct reports of yours, they were peers throughout the organization who you had to get kind of aligned with your vision for the artists you were representing. So I did that for about nine years, fascinating job, amazing experiences. And, uh, and then I kind of took a kind of a crazy pivot, we went through a corporate merger, that uh, was a pretty radical shift in like culture and leadership. And uh, so the organization shifted quite a bit. And simultaneously, I got an opportunity to go on staff at the church that my husband and I had been a part of. And uh, it was a pretty fast growing church in the Nashville area. And they were looking for somebody who would be what the, the title was executive director and wow. essentially the person who would run the day to day, like leadership staff operations at the church. And, uh, and so, uh, kind of a crazy pivot for me career wise, but, um, but stepped into that role and uh and that or that church grew from we were about 5 staff when i started to about 75 staff wow. 12 years later um you know uh 500 attendees to over 6000 attendees one location to six locations so just a rocket ride of growth wow. that i would say was really i mean both experiences were kind of incubators to my growth but uh that crazy growth trajectory was um was really formative for me uh from there i uh and that opportunity so i was a female in leadership inside of the church space which is a a little unusual in a lot of environments and that opened doors for me to start talking about leadership and um uh speaking and writing and so i got opportunities to write some books you know especially in the church space was speaking at conferences in the church space so that began to uh, kind of um Uh, just reconnect with, as a little girl, I'd always wanted to write a book, but I kind (laughs) of killed that dream pretty early on because you just kind of think that's an impossible dream. And so here it kind of gets reawakened. And that's really what began to open me up to, I have this, this passion for helping leaders and teams really be effective. And here are these additional opportunities for that to take place. And so that began the rumblings of, should I do that more full-time? Should I be, you know, I'm, I'm doing it kind of as my side hustle but is that the thing that i should be doing and that passion just continued to grow until i finally took the leap
0: <laughs> and was that a was that a difficult torturous process did you anguish over it uh, or did you just you know wake up was it like cold turkey waking up one day and say okay i'm doing that on monday morning
1: yeah no it was uh, totally arduous like i'm you know i'm wrestling through can i do this all the insecurities all the fears right. uh, you know and and i'm 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 just by nature an achiever and so the idea of if I can't completely mitigate for failure then I'm a, can be afraid to take the step and uh and so and and honestly last the thing that was that really kind of launched me into saying okay I'm going to start this was I had I had since moved on to another organization I that I just wasn't a good fit. I you know so I had been at the church in Nashville I ended up going out and serving at another church in the California in California and it it wasn't a good fit for me. Wonderful people, great organization, but just culturally wasn't a great fit for me. And I was really just just not thriving myself. And so that discomfort eventually pushed me to go. Okay, you know, I've been thinking about this for a handful of years. I'm doing now's it. now's the time to do it. Yeah.
0: And you know, you'll have heard me say this a number of times. Where when a founder um, is in that phase you know, all your friends and family sort of look at you and, and they say, you're, you're very, you're being very brave. This is a very brave decision. And what they mean is you're crazy, right? And <laughs> That's
1: right. That's exactly do. right.
0: Um, you did have, do have the added uh, element, I'll call it that, or a factor that you've already mentioned, which is, it's relatively unusual for a female to be taking um, leadership positions. I don't mean it's not, it doesn't happen at all, but it's, right. it's it. it, it for-profits have their challenges in that regard too but did did actually putting your shingle on the wall as an external consultant and being a female and doing it in the church space did that give you pause to think at all and has it impacted how you show up in terms of your marketing?
1: Sure yeah a great question and it, it and it really did I did when I when I started out and launched Foresight I I anticipated I couldn't just stay in the church space because I felt there would be a lid there that there, and, you know, and I, and I, I give lots of space for all the reasons why that occurs, uh, whether I agree fully or not, but, um, but I did, I anticipated, you know, what I'm going to need to not just stay in the church space. I'm going to need to, um, consider opening, you know, stepping back into, uh, the nonprofit space was really a, a, a friendly space for me to step back into right. um, more no, more nonprofits, and then uh, and then back into the corporate space, which I uh, I kind of kind of kind of reignited a love for the business environment, and so uh, it's been a mix of all of those, you know, over the past five years. But yeah, in the in the church world, there was some hesitation of you know, and and if you look at some of the organizations that I would consider peers or the organizations I aspire to be a peer with that are consultants in the church space. Right. I'm one of maybe a couple females that mm. lead a consulting organization that works in the church space. And so, um, so yeah, it has its nuances. Um, I've been, I've been in many ways, pleasantly surprised by the places I have been invited into, And uh, so, yeah, it just comes with some complexity that you have to figure out how to walk through and overcome the insecurities or doubts or fears that sometimes, you know, (laughs) you're every I mean, every leader wrestles with. It doesn't matter. There's always something we we fill in the gap with. Uh,
0: I'd like to come back in a minute or two and tease out a little bit about the difference in uh, working in the uh, let's call it a faith and cause based world and the for-profit world, because you are one of the few people, uh, that, um, and I include myself in that, who actually straddles those worlds. And it's, mm-hmm. it is a fascinating um, uh, observation for me, the commonalities and the distinction. So I want to come back to that in a moment or two. But before we do that, you're five years in. That's a nice, uh, it's not a round number at all, but it's uh, one of those uh, sort of half important numbers with a, right. you know, with a zero on. So you're five years in. Um, when you look back now at what you thought you were getting yourself into, mm-hmm. how is it most different from what you thought that oh. you were stepping into? What would you would that, you ta- what would you say to your five five year old younger person? By the way, something you don't know is this is going to happen, or you're going to have to deal with this, or it's going to be like this.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think in some ways uh, it's funny because the the entire reason I called my organization foresight is I've always been one who anticipates and tries to like really uh, project what's coming. I joke that I never did an all-nighter in college because I got the, I got the syllabus and I planned out my work. You know, I mean, I'm just kind of a geeky kid like that. And, uh, but funny enough, I think I didn't know what to anticipate even when I started Foresight. So it was like this, just, I just kind of took the leap and figured I would figure it out as I went. Um, I think that, I think that there was some naivete in assuming that I would eventually hit a milestone where it felt comfortable. And I haven't found that yet. (laughs) I don't know if some of that is just my wiring. You can coach me on this less. I don't know if some of that is just my wiring or if that's just the nature of, you know, founder leader in that, you know, there's always another hurdle. Um, and and again, some of that is my ambition because it, I, I joke we we hosted a conference this past year, a digital conference, and initially I had a goal of I wanted 3,500 attendees to register for this conference. Price. So we hit the 3,500 goal. So now I'm like, well, can we hit 4,000? Oh, we hit 4,000. Can we hit, you know? And so sure. I have to really temper that. There's again, lots of good coaching there that visionary side of things, but recognizing I can just be exhausting to myself and my team. <laughs> so I do think there's a little bit of probably going back to, you know, that, that five-year you know, younger version of myself starting this of, of just like, enjoying enjoying the stage that you're in and not right. trying to so ambitiously move on to the right. next because the next right. just comes with more complexity right um, yeah
0: I, uh, and we, we we have talked about that uh in the past and you know one of the things that uh i shared with you is and, and you just i think said it yourself so i want to paraphrase a little bit so in our world, as you know, we talk about the early struggle phase and everybody knows that's gonna be problematic. And you know, you'd have to be a complete idiot to launch a new business and not know that you're gonna have some problems. Uh, right. And then you do the right things. You're one of the 20%. You get it to the, it to the, set, the first stage of growth, second stage, which of course, in our world, we call fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I have uh, on many occasions spoken with folks. My, my good friend, David Allen, is probably the greatest example. I mean, here's a guy's biggest seller uh, of uh, wrote getting things done, biggest seller of productivity books, had a magnificent consulting company. And I remember standing with him and his uh, wife, uh, Kathleen, who, uh, Catherine, who worked in the business with him. And uh, we'd just done the full diagnostic process with him and his team. And he said, uh, they, they'd all agreed that they were in whitewater. And I remember David saying to me, uh, here's the thing. I don't remember one day of fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can relate and, to that. Yes, and,
0: and, you know, I just just stood there for a moment or two and, and waited a bit. And he looked at me and he says, I think that says more about me, though, doesn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, you know, yeah. and there, there are other folks that I, that I had uh, one client two weeks ago uh, who convinced that they were going through Whitewater. And we spent a full day together just down in the um, National Harbor mu- um, Hotel down in uh, D.C. here. And it was obvious uh, just an hour into it. Uh, and I shared with them, you're not in Whitewater at all you're in fun but you're just huge overachievers, so you're all yes. constantly unhappy yeah yes. <laughs> right if yes. you're a, if you're a perfectionist then fun never gets to be fun because there's always something could be better right
1: there's always something else there's more you know like so that is that is sincerely like a, a struggle for me because you have told me we've talked about where you know foresight is right now and wow. and i you know I, there have been times I'm convinced we're in whitewater and you're like, no, nah, you're not, you're not there yet. Like, you you know, and, and, and when I pause and, you know, it's so funny because, you know, I've spent the better part of the last handful of years studying predictable success and like trying uh-huh. to learn and, and, you know, obviously facilitating it. But, um, but sometimes even diagnosing yourself, I'm like, I'm convinced I'm like, oh, we're, and then, and then of course I'm trying to anticipate and avoid whitewater, which is not possible. Uh-huh. Um, Uh You know, so I think there have been times where I've been trying to, like, mitigate for the anticipation of that stage, and and you just squeeze the fun out of it.
0: Right, Um, right. So, yeah. And you put your finger on that. You do not want to bleed the fun out of fun. It's okay to not be the sort of person who's, uh, you know, always uh, happy Aunt Sally, but uh, you you do want to take some time and and celebrate the successes that you've brought.
1: You
0: know yeah yeah uh, so that's that's uh fascinating by the way I just uh, not just for uh, uh for you and our conversation here listeners in general one of the ways that I have uh been able to help folks who are who are maybe puzzling about that I mean am I in genuine in white water and having these massive growth problems or mm-hmm. am I just you know constantly dissatisfied with with how things are and that's the way it is uh one of the things I share with folks is you'll know you're in whitewater because uh, some of the things that are happening will either actually cause, or you will be fearful that they will cause reputational risk. Uh If you're not experiencing that, if if you're just teed off or frustrated or disappointed, or you made a couple of mistakes, that's not whitewater. Whitewater has has got a magnitude that it either already has, or you're fearful that it's close to causing reputational risk that you're just going that's to so much for,
1: that Yeah, that's a good distinction. Yeah,
0: you know, a clients you're going to lose, start losing clients, or whatever.
1: That be. Yeah, that's that's a helpful distinction. That's good.
0: So I, I
1: want to come back just to this uh, crossover
0: between the faith-based, cause-based world and the for-profit world, uh, and I want to ask you about something that I've been I've been um, uh, struggling is not the right word but I've been uh, sort of investing some time and I don't typically read uh business books or listen to business podcasts or anything like that and, and mainly because I work at it all day and I don't want to listen to it all day <laughs> that's uh, right but also I happen to know that I'm I am um, uh I, I become a plagiarist very easily with uh, without knowing that that's what I'm doing and uh, you know I read out something that's a really good idea it sort of pops up three weeks later and I've convinced myself I've come up with it the, so yes do. yeah but One of the most um, impactful, uh, as it turned out, uh, podcasts about leadership. uh, I don't think it set out to do this. Maybe it did. uh, That I've listened to this year uh, is about the rise and fall of Mars Hill.
1: Mars Hill, yeah, yeah.
0: Which, for our our leaders, in its most simplistic terms, is a, a real life story about the collapse of a church in the Seattle area because of failures in leadership. There's a lot more going right. on there, but that's essentially what it is. And one of the things that I've been uh, uh, dwelling on is I know that world quite well, both from personal experience in a previous life where I helped found and was an elder in a fast growing church. And also because like you, a large number of my clients are in that world. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I find it easy to do in the for-profit world is to come in and challenge a dysfunctional culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, that's almost always a high element of what we do. Now, it may be dysfunctional for quotes, ethically neutral reasons, right? Right. Just, we haven't got this right. So it's dysfunctional, or it may be dysfunctional because people are doing you know, questionable things from, from a behavioral standpoint do you find it harder to charge uh, to challenge dysfunction in the church world because of all of the undercurrents of you know we're good people we love each other uh, and also there's the the get out of jail free card god told me to do it
1: <laughs> yes 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 it it is it is interesting um and i have you know i've had the privilege of working with some phenomenal leaders in the, in the church space. And then I've also just seen some really unhealthy dynamics in leadership in that space as well. Um, but I do think that, I think there's a little bit of, because the church is such a people oriented organization, there's an assumption we're good at leadership, people, management, culture, Etc. And oftentimes, I find churches to be some of the most toxic work cultures. Now, right. that's a bit of a, um, a you know, I'm I'm not using data for that statement. That's a perception statement. Right. But right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think sometimes we we the in the church world we can have a tendency to assume it's all good and we haven't really developed some good practices and. And good good just organizational behaviors in how we operate. And there is a little bit of that, there's a there's a tension that exists because in the church world, that lead pastor or senior pastor, whatever the title might be, um, has that um that calling, that anointing from God to be the leader of that organization that sometimes um doesn't allow for the same measure of accountability and feedback that I think uh, is, more, is typically more prevalent in the corporate world. You can have exceptions to any of that. Right. But yes, I, I it, it's a, it, it quite surprised me going from a corporate environment and then into the church world full time. Uh, I found myself quite surprised by how some of the things that were more of the behavioral norms of how we operated and treated one another inside right. of the, the organization that I, I was a part of. Now, caveat to that is that You know, I, I started at that company at the record company when I was 20 as an intern and uh, it was my first like real work experience. And what I didn't know is that I was in a really fantastic organization with great, you know, like, um, culture and staff training and so forth. So I, I kind of got a really good experience right out of the gate, but I was quite surprised going into the church space, how, um, much of those skills were un- way underdeveloped right. and, um, and, and, and it, and it wasn't as much of a concern. So yeah, it's, it's a unique thing to what I'd be curious to hear more of what you experienced there less as you're working on both sides.
0: What of, I, I, I'm having Worked as you say on both sides for a long time. One of the things that I feel uh, most contributes now, I've got, I've got to put all the caveats in that you did. There are many, many fantastically well-led churches, incredibly healthy, and I've been very privileged to work with many of them. And we've had a number of uh, precisely those types of leaders here on the podcast with Jason Mitchell on from LCBC, That's a while right, back, right. Who, who's just literally in the last week, I think, taken on the baton. From uh, from David, there uh, uh, just wonderful folks, great team, very good, right. and so forth. But where it has been problematic, um, first of all, it gets more problematic than it does in the for-profit world uh, for reasons of transparency, and I don't have time to go into all of that. But you That's can, right. ha- if you're not a quoted company, if you're privately owned, owned or family-owned for-profit, you can hide an awful lot of dysfunctional behaviors, sure. or, get, or quotes get away with them. Um, but the other thing is that um, I've come to believe that the lack of succession planning and bench strength development is a major yes. contributor to it. And the reason is this, something happens which is exactly the same as in the for-profit world and which is good for the early stages. You plant the church and you're and you you struggling through early struggle to get traction. You're trying to get up to a hundred, you're trying to get up to 250. Um, You get past 250, you get into fun. At that point, in both for-profit and not-for-profit, there may be a team that's called a management team or leadership or senior Mm -hmm. pastor, whatever it may be. But they're not really leaders, they're enablers. They're there (laughs) in a good sense of the word, right? They're there to enable the vision of the lead pastor. And the same thing happens in for-profit. There's a visionary founder and, you know, until you get close to whitewater and through it, any group that's called a leadership group is essentially a group of enablers. They're water carriers.
1: That's good. Has yeah. division
0: and everybody else is there to help. Yep. Churches are terribly bad at making the necessary shift away from that to true leadership groups that's where people great... are genuinely leaders, where they're being developed as leaders and where they have a strong challenge function. Um, and, you know, people are, are being... Are, are being challenged on some of the precepts of what they're doing. And so that, I, I, and, it, and it, it rolls into the whole area of succession planning, where if you're not actively looking, I mean, you, you so many churches, it's just it, it, literally, if you'll forgive me, it's just the son is going to be, yeah. or, you know, or, or, you know, one of the kids Yep. and that's about as far as it goes, you know, and, and that right. doesn't bring the, 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 the light and air and transparency that happens whenever you're you're developing a a succession plan. So it may seem very separate, but I think lack of bench strength and succession feeds into these. Um, uh, let's just call them poor quality uh, cultures. Uh, yeah, and yeah, would, and would help a lot with it.
1: Yeah, that's really well said. That, I I completely agree with that. Um, let's
0: just shift over uh, for a minute uh, to the for-profit world, and then we'll take a little look at where maybe you think foresight is going to be in five years from now when we talk to, next talk to you on the podcast. Um, sure, sure. So you uh, just so the folks know, uh, uh, it was a couple of years now ago now you you became a licensed predictable success practitioner, a, a scale architect. Yeah. Um, tell just share a little bit of you know where did predictable success hove into view for you how did how did you get to know about it why did you think it would be useful for you and and how are you incorporating it at the moment in your practice
1: yeah yeah great questions and I I'm trying to remember where I first I stumbled on the book initially uh so I stumbled on the predictable success book uh somewhere in one of the church roles that I was serving I think just trying to study and diagnose you know what are the challenges we're navigating uh and then our mutual friend Casey Graham introduced me to predictable success he's he's given that book to everybody I think Yeah. Um, so yeah so uh he he kind of resurfaced it for me right around the time that I was launching foresight and you know so again I kind of deep dived into it again uh and uh but but what I, I I think what I found so helpful is, again, it's such a complete tool that uh, is just endless. You know, the more that I uh, dig into it as a scale architect, the more that I'm like, there are just so many layers of this model that you have built that are just phenomenal. Like, it's just endless of the resources and, you know, and the tools that you can take to help um, leaders and their teams. But what I loved so much about it and the way that I use it inside of Foresight is that when I engage with an organization... Uh, And, 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 you know, because that leading edge is the, um, the coaching of the executive leader or the culture dynamics of the team, I still come first with uh, what we call the diagnostic session in predictable success in coming in with a, Hey, let's, let's take a look at where is your organization in the life cycle? We need understanding and visibility of what's going on with the organization in this season. and then my interpretation of it is then what's required from us as a leader and that's where we use the vops um profile to understand okay now what what is required of the leader and that's where it becomes so fun for me and i think has always been what's resonated so deeply with me is that at different stages the organization needs something a bit different from the leader and the leadership team and so that i feel like just helps illuminate where are the challenges where are the problems. Um, why are we feeling stuck or in unable to move through whitewater or wherever we may be? And so that's how we use it inside of foresight. And it's just so incredibly powerful. Uh, and oftentimes when I'm working with an executive team, we start there and then, you know, we, the 13 imperatives, um, you know, lie within that as part of the framework for the model. And we just start digging in and, uh, and. And uh, it just, again, just continues to build on and help those leaders get greater awareness of what do we need to be focused on? What do we need to grow? And uh, so, yeah, so it, it's, it's core to how we, you know, the leading edge for us is that that leader feeling stuck or them feeling frustrated by team dynamics. And yet we come in with predictable success and it, it just illuminates, okay, where do we begin? What do we need to focus on first?
0: Yeah, that's, it's just lovely hearing that, and um, I was just sharing with you before we hit record on the, on the podcast, I'm literally just like 45 minutes ago back from uh, being just outside of Nashville, actually, uh-huh. uh, with uh, a client that, if, if I use their name, uh, most of the, the folks that are listening would know them, and, and they work um, uh, in an area not on adjacent to what we do. They help other organizations mm-hmm. get aligned and so forth. Uh, and to spend a day with their leadership team and to have them uh, say the things that I I've got the privilege to hear over and over again, starting with, seriously, do you have a webcam in our offices? Seriously, have you've been watching the last year and a half play out.
1: That's exactly uh, right. Yeah,
0: it, it confirmed in me something that uh, you know one of the joys I have about this thing is I didn't because I didn't I didn't design this model. I just. Uncovered it, you know. I spent time as a serial entrepreneur and just wrote down what I saw happening over and over again. Is it's a natural organic model. It's and and I so I find out stuff that's that's new all the time myself. And you and I were at an event a while back, and Scotty Ritzheimer, who's the CEO of Skill Architects, uh helped me see something I'd never seen before, and you've just echoed it that. One of the things I believe that um, in your practice, having predictable success that you're now able to help people with, that really no one else does with any, there are lots of great growth models out there. We help people with the when.
1: Yes. It's not just
0: the what. It's not just, okay, you need to do this. Yeah, but when, what's the sequence? There's like 50 things I need to do. So what's the chronology of this. And that's the bit that I've been rolling around in a little bit since, since Scotty uh, shared that. And it's so very, very true. And it's, it helps yeah. a lot with, with consulting gigs because you can, you then know how to set out the, the stepping stones of implementing. You don't, you're not just throwing a bunch of stuff and saying, you know, see what throw it against the wall, see what sticks.
1: Yeah. I think that, that it's funny, you know, when Scott did uh, give us that perspective on, you know, the when piece of this, it was like, that was a light bulb for me. I had, uh, one of my team members years ago, she would say, she would just call me sequencer because she was like, you're always trying to do things in the right order to help us achieve what we need. And I was like, I just can't not like, you know because there's a a part of me, I'm uh, just hyper efficient. So I'm always looking at what's the most efficient way to accomplish what we need to accomplish. And so I resonated really deeply with that when, when Scotty brought that perspective to it. Cause it's like, yeah, it is, it's so much about the when. And I think again, what I find so powerful when I introduce clients to predictable success is the, just the, wow, okay, there is, there is a roadmap. There is a way to address the things that I'm feeling or sensing. um, And, uh, and just the hopefulness that creates, you know, it's the, the, is there a webcam in our office? Because how do you know exactly what we're, well, it's because it's predictable. Like every organization is going to experience this at these different stages. And so you're, and I think what I hear so much from clients is So I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy. This isn't just me. Like I'm not, you know, and I think that's where my compassion for senior leaders, you know, founding leaders comes in is that, you know, they get so frustrated and discouraged when they just feel stuck because they don't know what to do when. Uh, And um, again, the model is just so powerful for that.
0: Well, uh, um, to stick with chronology for a moment or two, uh, as I say, uh, we bring you back five years from now, you tell us, Everything that's wonderful has happened with foresight. What What are your dreams, hopes, visions for your business moving forward?
1: Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I, uh, sometimes I get a little stuck on that. Um, in that, uh, I want to do everything, so I have no, a little. Seriously? <laughs> Right. Can you believe that at all? I like, I want to do it all. And I, I, I'll never forget this. I was doing a strategy session with one of my team members and this was probably two or three years ago. Now this is so typical founders like curse. Right. But, um, we're whiteboarding out like all these things. And she said, Jen, those aren't just like 20 ideas. Those are like 20 different businesses. I was like, okay, time out, time out. Um, So, so here's, here is, uh, I I am, I am loving continuing to, I I love straddling both the corporate and the faith-based nonprofit areas. I I do love, and and there's some of that, that I'm like, you know, should I pick a lane? But I, I find that I love serving both. And so I think I'd love to see that continue to expand. Um, I really have a deep uh, passion and heart for organizational culture. And I know that that is, you know, it's a hot topic kind of everywhere, but I think it's a really key topic, uh, you know, especially with all of the upheaval we're seeing in staffing dynamics and, you know, the war on talent and, um, you know, uh, the great resignation and people really rethinking, why do I do what I do? And I think it just puts more onus on, uh, leaders to create cultures where people are engaged and thriving, and I think I would love for foresight and I, and, and I would love to continue to be a thought leader in that space, helping organizations think really intentionally and deliberately about that. Uh, so I think, I think that would be success for me in another five years is uh, we've continued to help uh, influence and shape the health of organizations and their teams. Right. And um, and that I've got a great team of people working alongside me to do that. So we can just sor- serve more leaders better.
0: Right. And uh, folks that have been listening here, if they think uh, they want to talk to you a little bit more, uh, let's do the usual stuff. Tell everybody where they can go find out more about you.
1: Yeah. Our website is getforesight.com. So it's the word get, G-E-T, the number four and the word sight, S-I-G-H-T, getforesight.com. You can find all kinds of information, great resources, blogs, podcasts, the whole the whole thing there. Uh, and then I'm just at Jenny Catron on all social media accounts, LinkedIn, Instagram, wherever, where whatever social media account you're on. I mean, I am there as at Jenny Catron, and I'd love to connect that way.
0: And uh, just to be clear for everybody, that's Jenny with two Ns and Catron is C. K-T-R-O-N, Jenny Catron.
1: That's correct.
0: Well, Jenny, it's been an absolute, genuine delight and pleasure to have you come into, uh, first of all, the Predictable Success ecosystem, and then to get to know you personally, and uh, a great admiration and respect for what you do. It's been a delight to have you here, and uh, we'll get you back in five years, and we'll find out which of those 20 businesses you launched.
1: (laughs) That's perfect. Les, (laughs) thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your voice and influence and the opportunity to keep learning from you. So thanks for this opportunity as well. Thanks, Jen.